So that's Exodus chapter 17, starting from verse 8. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So... Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershon, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer. For he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, And they stood round him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you sit, why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand round you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you, and you cannot handle it alone. 
Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law, and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel, and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. This is God's word. Cheers, Al. Evening, everybody. If uh, I've not met you, my name is Matt Banks. I'm one of the uh, assistant ministers here at Christchurch Mayfair. If I haven't met you, it'd be lovely to meet you after the service. The way... Uh, It's going to work tonight is we're going to focus on chapter 18, particularly chapter 18, verses 1 to 12. We looked at the Amalekites last week. We're going to go through the story, and then I'm going to draw out three applications. So work through the story, then three applications. Before we do that, let me pray. Oh, Father, as we reach this, uh, in many ways, sort of climax of the first half of the book of Exodus, please... Help us to be men and women who listen to what you are saying. Please help us to be men and women who, like Jethro, worship and praise you for all you've done. Amen. Yeah, so this whole chapter, chapter 18, is about Jethro. Uh, It's a little bit weird. In a a sense, Jethro only appears uh, in three chapters in the Bible, uh, Exodus 3, Exodus 4, and here in Exodus 18. The last time we saw him was back in, obviously, in chapters 3 and 4, and that was just after uh, the incident in the wilderness near Mount Horeb. Uh, And it got me thinking, uh, just sort of playing around this week, it got me thinking, it must have actually been quite an awkward conversation that Moses had to have with his father-in-law, right? Way, way back when, in Exodus 3. You, can, you know, I don't know, who knows how it went. Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Jethro, sir, father-in-law, pop. Okay, maybe not pop, no. Um, I, I've loved being married to your daughter, Zipporah, uh, these last few years. It's been, it's been great looking after your sheep. Um, but actually, uh, I thought about going, taking my life in a little bit of a different direction. Oh, uh, yeah, um, yesterday, about tea time, uh, I was out watching the flocks, and um, yeah, it turns out, uh, actually, the divinity of my ancestors, uh, the one who's not spoken to anyone in 400 years, uh, he appeared to me, actually, in a burning bush. Mm, okay. Uh, and, and it turns out, Mr. Jethro, father-in-law, that what this... Um, 
It's God, Yahweh, his name is. What he wants me to do, actually, is go back into Egypt, where I used to be wanted for murder, and take leadership of uh, about two million people, and go up against the military and political might of Pharaoh, and lead a whole nation out of slavery. And is it okay if I leave the wife and two kids with you while I do that? I mean... I. Not all of us here have fathers-in-law, but let me tell you, that would be a quite an awkward conversation to have with your father-in-law. But that was the last time we saw Jethro. And actually, to be honest, the conversation can't have gone that badly because um, back in chapter 4, verse 19, Jethro did actually say to Moses, go and I wish you well. And the last time we saw Jethro and Zipporah, Moses' wife, and Gershom, and Eleazar, was back in chapter 4, verse 20, when it says that Moses put them on the donkey, and we saw them sort of ride off over the hill into the sunset back to Midian. And wow, what a lot has happened since we last saw these characters. All the stuff that we've seen over the last few weeks the demand, the confrontations with Pharaoh, the plagues, the Passover, the Red Sea, the Amalekites last week, the manna. Wonderful stuff. And beginning of chapter 18, Jethro has heard about it. So we're on page 75 if you've closed your Bibles. Have a look through the story. As I said, then three applications. So chapter 18, verse 1. Jethro's heard all about it. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro's heard all that the Lord has done. And it seems that uh, the writer of Exodus, who we think is Moses, he seems to really want to slow us down and make us pause and reflect on all that God has done. Uh, see, verse, verses 2 and 3 remind us of what we knew from chapter 4, that Zipporah and her two boys had gone back to Midian when Moses had gone off into Egypt. I don't, I don't know if you noticed as Al read it. They, they, they remind us of that in quite a long-winded way. We have, the, we have the names of the two boys and we have the meanings of the names. So uh, verse 2 of chapter 18. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jephro received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. See, in a purely literary sense, the writer is slowing things down by putting detail in. It's as if, as, as Moses' family come back on, on stage, on set, or whatever, or back into the story, the writer wants us to realise that actually, look, they, they kind of form a bracket around all that the Lord has done for Israel. He's slowing us down, making us contemplate all that the Lord has done. In a literary sense, you say they, they frame the dramatic uh, exploits of all that God has done in the last few chapters. And Jethro has heard all of that. And in verse 6, he sends word. He says, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife 
and her two sons. Now, of course, if this was Hollywood, uh, we'd sort of see them shimmering in the camel in the distance. Uh, and the boys, they'd, they'd hop off the camel and run to their dad and he'd kind of scoop them up in his arms and the string music would start playing. And suddenly he'd lock eyes with Zipporah and all the tension and, and promise of the last few months would be communicated silently between them. And he'd say something like, you complete me. But, uh, but it's not Hollywood. And um, I'm sure, I'm, of course, I'm sure he was delighted to be reunited with his family. But the emphasis here actually is, is not on the interactions between Moses uh, and Zipporah and his kids. It's actually on the interactions between Moses and Jethro. So interesting. Look, uh, verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. And the topic of the conversation, in many ways unsurprisingly, and of course totally appropriately, is what the Lord has done. Look at verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. And actually, there are, there are, there are two things, that, that verse makes it clear, there are two things brought to the fore in terms of the Lord's heroics that, that Moses is talking to Jethro about in the tent. Um, the first one actually is flagged up by, by repetition. Whenever you read the Bible, if, if one word or, or idea is kind of repeated, you know that the author is trying to make that point. Uh, so just person next to you, just read through verses, verses 7 to 11 and just, just spot how many times the word rescue or saved is mentioned, okay? Verses 7 to 11, just the person next to you, rescued or saved. How many times? Good, okay. Okay, how many, how many? Yeah, well done, very good. And actually, and actually, if you look back to, uh, to verse 1, it's mentioned, um, uh, mentioned there as well, I think. Oh, maybe, no, no, sorry. Verse 4, verse 4, it's there again. And, and I said rescued or saved. Actually, in Hebrew, it's, it's exactly the same word. So you can say five, five times this word is mentioned. And that, that is exactly the same word that, that God used in chapter 3 when he first announced this grand project of deliverance for the nation of Israel. When he said in uh, Exodus 3, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue, same word as we have here, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, and so as we sort of overhear Moses and Jethro chatting in the tent. By the way, I like to think of them drinking whiskey and smoking a cigar as they do that, right? In, late into the night, recounting all, recounting all that the Lord has done, we realize that the Lord has done this. He has rescued his people from under hand, the hands of the Egyptians. And then, of course, we realize, if, if we haven't already, that, that those names that we got for Moses' kids, we realize the sort of deeper and richer significance that they take on you see he, he named his kids to kind of be uh, kind of autobiographical about his life but actually now we realize that they are biographical about the life of the whole nation of Israel so Gershom means I have become or I've been an alien in a foreign land 
That is where the Israelites are now. But they are a rescued people in a foreign land. Eliezer, my father's God, was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So as they're chatting sort of around the campfire late into the night, they're talking about what God has done to rescue the nation of Israel. But actually, that's just the half of it. That's the the one half of the coin, if you like. Because uh, the other half, of course, is in rescuing the people of Israel, the Lord has also brought judgment on the nation of Egypt. In rescuing the people of Egypt, uh, Israel, the Lord has brought judgment on Pharaoh and all the small g-gods, if you like, of Egypt. So look, verse 8 again. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And skip on to verse 11. Jethro says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Yes, they talk, the two men in the tent, they talk about what the Lord has done in rescuing Israel, but they also talk about what the Lord has done to bring to nothing those who opposed him. So judgment and rescue is what the two men talk about late into the night. And as Jethro hears about that, verse 9, he is delighted. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done. And in verse 10, Jethro says, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. The, the, the overwhelming, the, the outflow from Jethro is praise and it is delight. And then we get to verse 12, which in, which in many ways is, is, is the climax, actually, of this whole first half of the book of Exodus. Look at the beautiful picture in verse 12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came, and with all the elders of Israel, they ate bread with Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. A, a beautiful picture of, of community, of praise, of sacrifice, of delight and joy and worship to Yahweh, the God of the Exodus. And I want to suggest, as we rattle through the story, but I want, to, I want us to have that picture of those men around, around that campfire that night. And as we, as we look at the, the light from the flames flickering off their faces, as we see Jethro around that campfire that night, what is the Lord saying to us? And I want to I suggest, I suggest th- three lines of application for us, actually. Three lines of application as we, as we look at Jethro by that fire. And the first is this. Have confidence that hearing is enough. I'll say that again because the points are not on the screen this week. Have confidence that hearing is enough. See, look, I don't know if you're uh, uh, 
a Christian here tonight or someone who wouldn't yet call yourself a Christian, but I imagine whichever of those two groups you fall into, you will at some time have thought, it is a tall order that God asks me to read these words and pin the whole of my life on what I hear in them. You will have thought that, whether you're a Christian or not. You will have thought to yourself, I I would find faith so much easier if I could actually see uh, something tangible. It is too big an ask of God to expect me just to rely on stuff that happened thousands of years ago. You You will have thought at some point, seeing is believing and it is insufficient to just have words. And if you've thought those things, you will either just dismiss Christianity if you're not a Christian, or you will lose confidence in God's word. And when, of course, that happens, when we lose confidence in God's word, then we start to doubt that these words that we've got, that hearing these words are are sufficient for anyone to believe in Jesus. And when we do that, we will lose confidence in telling our friends about them. In this world of CNN and Instagram and YouTube, we will think, how on earth can mere words do anything? And Jethro, around that fire, that night, is there to convince us otherwise. You see, it's obvious, but it is crucial to point out. Jethro only ever hears what the Lord has done in, those, in those, all those chapters since we last saw him. He went off over the horizon into Midian, and now he comes back. And all he does, all, in inverted com- commas, is hear. So verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 1 again. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything that God had done for Moses. And obviously, verse verse 8, chapter 18, all, as it were, all that Moses could do is tell his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh. You know, he can't whip out his phone and say, oh, look, look, Jethro, check out this sweet selfie. That's, That's me and Joshua in the Red Sea. Of course not. Words. Words is all that Moses has got, but this is here to convince us that words are enough. Remember that hearing is enough. In many ways, you think about it, that's obvious. Mo- Moses wrote this, and he knew that it would be read for generations to come. You, you get that sense if you look back to the Passover, where they talk about the fact you've got to teach this to your children's children's children. Moses knew that generations would read this. He knew that the, like, whatever, 90, 99% of the people who would ever read the book of Exodus wouldn't have been there to see for themselves what God has done. He knew that. But he was writing this because Moses knew that hearing about what God has done is enough. And actually, if, if, if you think about what has happened immediately before this episode with Jethro, you realise quite, just quite how strong a point Moses is making by including this episode with Jethro, don't you? Because what did we look at last week? We looked at a nation of grumblers, a nation of, of murmurers, 
A nation of people who doubted God's kindness, who slandered his character, and who even doubted, if, in some sense, if he was there. That's what we looked at last week. And who was that nation? Well, that was, of course, obviously, the very nation, Israel, who had walked through the Red Sea on dry ground and had seen walls of water either side. Those nation, that nation of grumblers and, and doubters was the nation who even that very morning had been fed by God miraculously with manna. And yet they doubted. So Moses is making this contrast. You've got, you've got Israel on the one hand who saw everything and yet who still are able to doubt. And you've got Jethro who heard about it and who worships and sacrifices to the Lord. And the point that is being made is seeing what God has done does not guarantee delight in him. Seeing what God has done does not even guarantee trust in him. You could say hearing is believing. That is the point that Moses is making to the generations, to the thousands, the millions of people who, like Jethro, will hear about what the Lord has done. He's saying, be convinced, hearing is enough. And again, look, it's a, it's a small point, but, but since the Exodus, you notice actually something that is conspicuous by its a- absence. The Israelites haven't sacrificed or offered any burnt offerings to the Lord. They, way back when, they said to Pharaoh, oh, let, let us go out of Egypt so that we can offer sacrifices to the Lord. But they haven't done that yet. The first person to do that is Jethro. The person who, in fact, has only heard about what the Lord has done. But Jethro has realized that that is enough. Hearing is believing. Of course, we find, we find that same pattern in the New Testament, don't we? I mean, just, just common sense tells you that uh, seeing Jesus and seeing all that he did doesn't guarantee belief in him. That's obvious, isn't it? Otherwise, people wouldn't have put him to death. If you, if you think about it, I mean, it's just logical, isn't it? People saw him, they saw him do miracles, and instead of bowing the knee to him, they said, uh, oh, you're a rabble-rouser, oh, you're just a prophet, uh, oh, you're demonic, uh, you're an upstart. Seeing all that Jesus did did not guarantee belief in him. And in fact, do you remember what Jesus said to, to Thomas, to doubting Thomas? He said this at the end of John's Gospel. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And then John continues, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The apostles, after Jesus died, said, these are written that you may believe in Jesus. The apostles, like Moses, knew that hearing God's word is enough to arouse that same praise and delight and sacrifice that we see in this man Jethro sat around the fire with the elders of Israel. It's enough for him and it's enough 
for us. So don't lose confidence in God's word. Don't lose confidence in reading the Bible one-to-one with one of your colleagues. Letting them hear about Jesus like that is sufficient to invoke praise and worship in them. Don't lose confidence inviting your friends to, to the guest events where they can hear about Jesus. Them hearing about him is sufficient to evoke praise and worship like Jethro in them. Don't lose confidence in speaking to your friends over lunch or after the lecture about Jesus. Them hearing those words is sufficient to evoke praise and delight in them. Don't lose confidence if you feel the Lord putting it on your heart to leave your career and work for him full time, telling people these words about Jesus. It will not be wasted. If you're here tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I I don't know what you call it, the challenge, I suppose, would be, God would say these words are sufficient. What, What more would God need to do to make you believe in him? If you don't believe in him, is it, is it really because these words are not sufficient? Or, if you're honest, could there be a sense in which you've already decided whatever these words say that you don't want it to be true? So look, first point of application as we see Jethro sat around the fire, I think, is this. Remember, remember, don't ever lose confidence. Hearing is enough. Hearing is enough. And then... Second point of application, and the, the, the uh, next to a, a far briefer. Remember to speak of rescue and judgment. Remember to speak of rescue and judgment. See, I think I think in this uh, this passage, as we, as we look at the interaction between Moses and Jethro, is is a challenge slash reminder to us to, that when we speak about God and what He's done, we must speak of both rescue and judgment. So look, verse 8 again. We've read it many times already tonight. Verse 8. As Jethro hears from Moses, everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. See, as they they sit there, Glenfiddich, Moses, Moses is speaking about rescue and judgment. And it's those two elements together that draw Jethro into worshipping the God of the Israelites. How tempting it is, though, isn't it, to, to sort of downplay any talk about, about judgment when, when we speak to people about Jesus. I mean, I remember um, uh, it was my second year uh, at university. I wasn't a Christian, second year at university, you know, a couple of years ago. And um, there, there I was, Freshers' Week, and uh, a guy, a guy from the local church, came in to do an evangelistic talk. And I was a cocky, cocky second year. I was kind of Freshers' rep in my hall, and I remember sort of chatting to him, saying, "Mate, mate, afterwards, mate, come, come over here. Let, let, let me tell you the type of thing you need to tell students if you want them to believe in Jesus. Okay, don't, don't leave out all that cross stuff. Jesus on the cross, sin." judgment leave that out just tell people how christianity makes your life better that's what i told him and praise god he obviously wasn't going to take me seriously but praise god he didn't take me seriously and we we met up over the course of that next term 
And by Christmas, that cocky student who'd said, oh, forget all the stuff about judgment, uh, had bowed his knee to Jesus as, as Lord and the one who is judge. Oh, it's very, very tempting to want to kind of sugarcoat the gospel or uh, leave out things about, about, about sin and judgment to make it more palatable. But in fact, what you do when you do that, it's not more palatable, well, it might, might be, but it's not palatable, but it's, it's perverted. You've perverted the gospel when you do that. You see, look, we, can't, we don't have time to spend long on it, but as you see Moses and Jethro chatting, as you see Jethro drawn into worship by the message of rescue and judgment, you realise it is a glorious, glorious thing that our God is the one who will bring to nothing all those who stand against his rescue plan. It is a glorious thing. It is glorious that he will bring to nothing people who stand against his rescue plan, whether that is Pharaoh or the Amalekites, whether that is ideologies today that set themselves up against Christianity, whether that is those who persecute his people, whether that is sin or whether that is even death itself. Jethro recognized God's glory when Moses spoke of rescue and judgment. And we've got to not lose our nerve and recognize that those whom the Lord is bringing to himself, the Lord will do so precisely when we do speak of rescue and judgment. So look, on to the last point. So have confidence that hearing is enough. Remember to speak of rescue and judgment. And finally, be concerned for all kinds of people. So we approach our events week. Be concerned for all types of people. As I say, we get to the glorious high point of verse 12. Read, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God, literally before God's face. And again, an obvious point. But as Moses and the elders share fellowship together, there is a pagan sitting there amongst them, worshipping the Lord in fact, there is a pagan priest, or one-time pagan priest. Jethro was the priest of Midian. There is a one-time pagan priest sitting with them, worshipping the one true God. A priest who, you know, who knows what he looks like? Sort of, uh, you know, superstitious amulets round his neck. Who knows how he dressed? pagan priest who presumably up to that point had been worshipping who knows what man-made idol blind to the fact that the Lord is the one true God and he is sat there around that campfire now converted worshipping the God of Israel and as we see him there in fellowship with, with, with God's people we are reminded that hearing Words about judgment and rescue are enough to evoke faith from the least likely people. Or I should say, enough to evoke faith from those whom we consider to be the least likely people. And that is always worth remembering, isn't it? As you, as you, as you pray and think about who you could invite to the guest events, look at Jethro and remember that hearing these words is enough to evoke praise from even the least likely of people. I was chatting to um, 
uh, Claire Dooley on the uh, the house party. Many of you will know she works in a coffee shop, and she was just she was just she was delighted. There was a, a guy um, called Tom, uh, who, who Claire said she when he actually walked into the coffee shop, age 26, a few months ago, and said, um, "I'm quite rich. I want to buy this coffee shop. I quite like it. Can I buy it?" She said that that is, that is the last person who I could ever imagine bowing the knee to Jesus. And now, praise God, he worships uh, at a great, solid Bible teaching church, not far from the coffee shop. God's concern has always been for all kinds of people. What a wonderful truth. And we remember, you know, what, did, what was it that the Lord said to Abraham way back in Genesis 12? What was the promise he made? Well, it was this. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And here is a reminder that even as early as Exodus, this is God working out that plan. Here, even as early as Exodus, this is God showing his concern for all types of people. That is what he's been doing since the Exodus. That is what he will carry on doing until the glorious, you know, that glorious vision in Revelation becomes reality. When the writer says, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. That is the end to which the Lord is working, gathering people from all tribes and nations to himself. And here, around that campfire, the light flickering on his face, you see Jethro. And that is the first fruit of God doing that. So have confidence that hearing is enough. Remember to speak of rescue and judgment and be concerned for all kinds of people. That is is what I think the Lord is saying to us as we look at Jethro. Look, you may want to look. We're going to finish now, basically. But uh, you'll say, "Well, what about that strange management consultancy type stuff in the second half of the chapter, where um, where?" uh, Jethro says to Moses, what you need to do is kind of delegate your judgment of, uh, of, of, of uh, deciding disputes for people according to God's law. It is in fact the case that as well as keeping sheep uh, and, um, uh, and having a bit of a sideline as a, as a priest, Jethro also worked for Accenture. Did, um, did Moses leave out the bit where he gets hit for a bill of 20 grand for this advice? Well, I... Uh, no, um, unsurprisingly. I, just very briefly, I think what, it, I think what this, this chapter is doing in Exodus is, as I say, the verse 12 is, is the climax, really, of God's rescue plan as these sacrifices are offered to the Lord. That looks back. But in this, all this, this stuff about um, Moses kind of uh, delegating uh, judgments according to God's law, I think that the main point is this, that it is, it is a good thing for a nation for a people to have access to God's law, to God's word, to how God would have us live. And so this chapter kind of serves as a, 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 as a hinge in Exodus, really. It looks back to all that God has done and prepares us for next week and onwards when we get to Mount Sinai and the Lord reveals his law. It is a sort of a little hint saying, because I, I don't know if you're about, I don't know if you're like me, right? I, I kind of, this is really bad, but I do kind of get to kind of this bit in Exodus and think, all the cool stuff's happened, hasn't it, really? 
that all the law that we're going to hear about, that's quite boring. All the cool stuff happens in the first bit of Exodus. And I think just this little hint is to say, don't, don't be so godless as to think that, Matt. It is a beautiful and wonderful thing when a nation knows and has access to God's law. So it sort of sets us up as we look ahead to the coming weeks. But for now, for this week, be convinced that hearing is enough. Remember to speak of rescue and judgment and be concerned for all kinds of people. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are weak. Our faith is often weak. Our zeal and concern for those who are not like us is low. So Father, tonight, would you, would you even fix in our mind and our imagination this, this strange character, this strange pagan priest who has heard of all that you have done and in hearing he has seen that that is, he has known that that is sufficient. In hearing he has bowed the knee to you. And Father, would you send us out men and women who are confident to speak your word to any who you would give us the opportunity to do so too. Amen.